So good to see you. I was thinking, why am I so excited, like almost giddy tonight? I think it's because it's been a month, I think, since I got to teach on a Wednesday night here in the auditorium. So I am, I am very excited. I was out of town, and then I was sick, and then we had a snowstorm, and so it's been a long time since I've got to be here. So I'm super excited to be here, and I'm super excited that you are here. I'm so thankful that you've taken time out of your week, middle of your week, to be together, to encourage one another, to study scripture together, and I'm excited to continue this study of the book of James. Even though what we're going to talk about tonight is a little bit difficult and challenging to think about and talking about suffering and being patient during suffering, but I just kind of want to remind us about sort of all the things we've talked about in this series. We're talking about what does real, true, undefiled religion look like? That religion is more than just what we talk about. Religion is more than just what we think about. Religion is more than just what we do on Sundays. Religion is more than just what we do when we're gathered together with other believers. Religion, James says, it's things like taking care of the widows and the orphans and keeping oneself unstained from the world. It impacts everything that we do. But religious people have this tendency to put up a facade, to put on a show, to be actors, right? Jesus uses the word hypocrites, which is a word that means actors, like a play actor, like you're putting on a play. And that's what religious people had a tendency to do before Jesus. That's what people had a tendency to do during Jesus' day. That's what religious people still tend to do. In fact, that tends to be one of the biggest complaints that non-religious people have about religious people is that we tend to be hypocritical. We tend to think religion is just about what we do in certain areas of our life and then other areas of of our life. We're doing things and practicing things that contradict what we sing and what we pray And what we say, we believe. It's one thing to say we believe something here on a Sunday or on a Wednesday. It's one thing to say we believe something when we're around other people who are also saying that. But then we have to put our our money where our mouth is. We have to, the the rubber meets the road when we're out there, right? And and during James's day, James, the, the younger brother of Jesus, And he's writing to these Christians, Jewish Christians probably, to encourage them, to teach them, to admonish them, to warn them. And one of the things that he seems to be warning them about is their relationship to rich people. (laughs) That even kind of strikes us funny, doesn't it? But, But imagine, kind of put yourself in their shoes. For some of us, it's harder to think about what might that be like. But imagine if you're poor, and you're oppressed. Imagine if people don't like you. Imagine if you're on the margins socially, economically, maybe ethnically on the margins of society, and people are blaspheming you, they're talking bad about you, they're spreading rumors about you. There would be a temptation, wouldn't there, 
there would be a temptation to form relationships with rich and powerful people so that they could protect you, right? Because you need somebody to protect you. When you're poor and you're weak and you're oppressed and you're vulnerable and you're on the margins of society, you need, not just you want, but you need someone to protect you, right? And the tendency is to look for somebody to protect you. And these people were looking for that protection in the wrong places. Remember what James says in James chapter 2, I'm not going to put this on the screen, but but if you remember in James chapter 2, he, he talks about not giving special seats of honor to rich people who come into the assembly. He says, if, if you give a special seat of honor to the rich person, and then you say to the poor person that's wearing dirty, shabby clothes, here, you sit at my feet. He's saying, you're doing the same thing that they're doing. Your, your religion is showing. Your real religion is showing. In fact, he says this in James 2, verses 6 and 7. Are not the rich ones, the, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He reminds them, it's these people, it's these people who are oppressing you. It's these people that are dragging you into court. It's these people who are saying things not just about you, but they're saying things about the, the name to which you belong. And then he warns them in James chapter 4. Do you remember? He, he warns them about making friendships with the world. And we talked a few weeks ago about how friendship, that means one thing in our culture, but in that culture, one of the things that friendship meant was an alliance. A friendship was a partnership. And one of the ways you would make friends is you'd make friends up, right? You wanted friends in high places. You wanted rich friends. You wanted powerful friends. You wanted friends who could help you, friends who could protect you. And James says you're looking for friends in the wrong places. If you go looking for friendship in the world, you are being adulteresses. You are committing adultery against God because you are saying, I need you, rich person. I need you, powerful person. I need you to protect me and provide for me. He says in James 4 and verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Strong words, aren't they? Incredibly strong words. And so James warns them over and over again, your trust needs to be in God. Don't just say you trust in God. Don't just say, yes, I believe God will provide for us. Actually ask God to provide. God is generous and he gives to people without resentment. He gives generously to his people. Ask him and actually believe that he's the one to provide for you and he's the one to protect you. Stop trying to leverage and manage these relationships with the world in order to find protection, in order to find someone that's strong and powerful to watch over you. You have someone who's strong and powerful to watch over you. You have someone with inexhaustible riches who wants to shower them upon you. And his name is Jesus. He is your king. 
He is your provider. He is your protector. Stop looking to the world to do for you what your God will do for you. That's what adultery is, isn't it? Adultery is when you go to someone other than your spouse to get what you should get from your spouse. To have a relationship with someone other than your spouse that you're only supposed to have with your spouse. And James says when you go to form these kinds of alliances and friendships and relationships with the world so that they protect you, you are committing adultery. This friendship with the world is adultery with God. It's enmity with God. You're making yourself God's enemies. Stop partnering with the world in order to find protection, in order to be provided for. Allow God to be your protector. Allow God to provide for you. And so in the beginning of James chapter 5, we have this incredibly difficult text and I feel so sorry for Matt. Matt did such an awesome job a couple weeks ago. I, I felt bad that I, that was, happened to be the night I was sick and I stuck him with this text in the, at the very last minute. Hey, James, that's an easy book. Chapter five, starting at verse one. It's a rough part of the text. Here's what it says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. He's going to go on and on about this, but someone needs to say this, don't they? All that, all that wealth that not only that the wealthy people are trusting in, these wealthy unbelievers, whoever they were out in the world, you know, these powerful people that some of the religious community was sort of trying to cozy up with and be friends with and make alliances with. Not only did the rich need to hear, hey, hey, your, your money that you think is going to last forever, your money that you think is going to provide for you, your money that you think makes you untouchable, your money that you think makes you powerful, your money that you think makes you special, it's all going to be gone. And it's going to be gone like that. And not only did they need to hear that, but the people that were partnering up with them needed to hear that. And again, this isn't so irrelevant for the church today, is it? We need to hear this. That, that stuff, whatever that stuff is, whatever that wealth is, whatever that power is, and you think, oh, we've got to have, we've got to have wealthy people, we've got to have powerful people, we've got to have people in, in high places that can watch over Christianity or watch over the church or watch over our whatever. We got to have them to protect us and provide for us. Nonsense. We have a friend in Jesus. He's the one we trust to provide for us and protect us. It's his strength and his power and his wealth and his might we don't, we don't need, we don't need those sorts of alliances or friendships with the world. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your, the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
Now again, kind of put yourself in their situation. You've, you've apparently got these wealthy landowners, these wealthy, powerful people that are oppressing and dragging into court the poor Christians, their brothers and sisters. So maybe you're a religious leader in that community. Maybe you're a Christian, and maybe you're not, maybe you're not at the bottom of the social ladder, but some of your brothers and sisters are. And some of your brothers and sisters have been especially hurt by these powerful people. And instead of partnering up with the least of these, instead of rushing to the broken, instead of rushing to the marginalized, instead of rushing to the the poor and the hurting, instead of rushing to their aid and making a special seat for them, And saying to them, here, come sit in my chair. Come share in my food. Instead of of catering to them and loving them and holding them up and protecting them, instead, you're trying to protect your own self-interests. Instead, you're ambitious. Instead, you're trying to get something for yourself. And you're partnering up with the worldly ones because of their wealth and their power and their strength and their might, and you're trying to build relationships and alliances with them, and they're going to be judged. God is going to judge them for their oppression and their fraud and their keeping back of wages. And why are you, why are you partnering with them? Why are you making friends With them, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, again, again, if you're if you're in that community and you're reading this letter from James or you're hearing this sermon from James, you're kind of hoping all these rich people that he's talking so bad about don't don't hear this sermon, right? Or don't read this letter, like, shh, shh, don't say that about them, right? Don't say that about them. Ugh, you're going you're gonna to get us in trouble with these powerful people. We, we need them. No, you don't. You don't need them. You have God. They need what you've got. They are going to be judged for the fact that they have condemned and murdered the righteous person for the fact that they've committed fraud, for the fact that they've oppressed, for the fact that they've dragged you into court, for the fact that they've held back wages. They are going to be judged. You don't need them. You have the Lord. Stop putting your trust in the world. And church, this has been relevant to every generation since, and it's incredibly relevant for us incredibly relevant for us. Every time an election rolls around, I hear Christian people talking like this. I hear Christian people saying, we need this powerful person. We need this powerful group. We need these people to protect us and to save us. I've heard Christian people talk about politicians saving Christianity. Nonsense. Jesus saves us. Jesus protects us. Our trust is in him. We don't have to make alliances 
and friendships and partnerships with the world in order to be provided for and protected. Our Lord provides for us and protects us. The world needs to tremble before our God because our God will judge the fraud and the oppression. And this is what Christian Christian people should have always practiced, pure and undefiled religion. Undefiled religion. When we actually live out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday what we sung on Sunday, what we prayed on Sunday, what we preached on Sunday, where we say, I don't, I don't need protection from the, the wealthy and the powerful. The world says it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I guess that's true because we know the Lord. We know the Lord, and we, we don't need the rich and powerful to protect us. We don't, we don't need them. That, that's fine if, they're, if they like us. That's fine if they're for us. But we don't need them. We, we need the Lord. And if we have the Lord, we have everything that we need. And this is exactly why he can say what he says in verse 7. Be patient, therefore. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. See, when, when you're marginalized, and I, I've never been marginalized, when you're oppressed, and I've never been oppressed, when you're dragged into court and, and you're accused of things you didn't do, and that's never happened to me, but even when you're faced with the prospect of that, it makes us anxious, doesn't it? It makes us nervous. And we think, what are we, what are we gonna do? We gotta do something. We gotta have somebody. We gotta have some sort of a plan. And, and James says, here's the plan. Here's the plan. You ready? Here's the plan. Be patient and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Be patient and wait for the Lord. See, this is why eschatology, that's a big fancy theological word, eschatology, which just means what you think about what happens at the end. What you think the end of the story is going to be like. This is why eschatology is so incredibly important. It changes everything. What, what do you think the end of the story is? Because if you're convinced that the end of the story is, we win. We win. We win. We are victorious. That's the end of the story. I don't know what tomorrow is like or the next day or the next day or the next day, but I know the end of the story is that we win. Jesus and his people win. That's the end of the story. So James says, be patient. And if you embrace that reality and that truth, that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and, and, and those that have committed fraud, they're going to answer to him. And those that have dragged you into court, they're going to answer to him. And those that have accused you falsely, they're going to answer to him. And those that have oppressed you, they're going to answer to him. And those who have held back your wages, they're going to answer to him. He's coming. So here's the plan. Wait patiently. Wait because he will bring judgment. And their wealth 
and their power and their strength and everything they've built for themselves will melt and it'll all be gone. But you will live forever. You have all the wealth you need. You have all the power you need. You have all the protection you need and all of it is in Christ Jesus and he is coming. He's coming. And if we really believe that, if that's our eschatology, if we think this is how the story ends, my Jesus is coming. My big brother Jesus is coming. And his father are going to judge the wicked. And justice is going to happen. And every injustice is going to be reversed. And the dead are going to be raised. And God is going to make everything right. If you truly embrace that reality, then you could say, you know what? I don't like the way that it is, but it won't be like this forever. And you can be patient and wait. He says it's like the farmer. The farmer, that, that's, the, that's the plan. You plant the seed and you water it, but until it produces fruit, you, you can't just force it to make fruit. You can't say, okay, this, this tree's not working. I'm going to pull this tree up and plant a different tree. That's not going to make it come any faster. Here's the plan. Wait for the fruit. It's coming. God is going to bless you with fruit. God is going to protect you. God is going to provide for you, even if it's in the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus is coming, and everything will be okay. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James says, the coming of the Lord is imminent. Now, a lot of people have read this and they thought, well, James didn't know what he was talking about. And they even listened to Jesus and they say, Jesus seems to think that the second coming is, is going to be really, really soon. Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. And Paul seems to think that the coming of the Lord is going to be really, really soon. Why didn't they know what they were talking about? Why did they talk about it as if it was going to happen very, very soon? Because that's the way Christian people must live. We have to live as if this might be, this might be it. Because as we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, the day of Pentecost is the beginning of the end. The day of Pentecost is the beginning. Peter calls it the last days. That the kingdoms of the world have started to fade away already. It isn't just something that will come and it just marks this beginning or the, the very end and, and, and it's light on this side and dark on this side or dark on this side and light on this side. It's, it's already begun. Judgment has already begun. Jesus is already reigning at the Father's right hand. The kingdoms of the world have already begun to pass away. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31 says, The present form of this world is passing away. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's try to think, what, what's this like? It, it's like when you, when you go to a movie and you get to the movie theater really early, you know, and you, you sit down in the chair and, and it's just it's taking forever and when's it going to start? And then, and then the house lights start to dim 
and the projector comes on, and you say, oh, okay, it's starting. Now, it may be a little bit before the actual movie comes on, but you know, it's already starting. The lights have already begun to dim. Things have already begun to progress. That's already begun to happen. All of the, the rich and the powerful, the oppressors, the persecutors, their kingdoms are already beginning to fade away. And the kingdom of God is here to stay. And if we embrace that truth and that reality, it makes us patient, doesn't it? If we sat in a fully lit movie theater for an hour, we'd think, man, I, just, I don't know. I don't know if this thing is ever going to start. I might just get up and walk out. But if the house lights dim and the projector starts, you say, okay, I don't know how many previews there's going to be, but I know the movie's coming because it's already started. And, and that's, that's the world in which we've been living since the day of Pentecost. That Jesus has already begun to reign over God's kingdom. And the kingdoms of this world have already begun to pass away. They're, they're, they've been put on notice. Their time is expiring quickly. So why are we afraid of them, one? And then why are we trusting in them, two? Why would you put your trust in the things that are fading away? Why would you put your trust and your hope and your faith in things that are passing away? Put your trust and your hope and your faith in the kingdom of heaven, in Jesus, in his power, in his wealth, in his strength, in his ability and willingness to provide for you and protect you and give you life. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now imagine not only how much patience this gives us with the things that are going on in the world. Because I know there's a lot of us and we're, we're anxious with the things going on in the world. And you think, we gotta have a plan, we gotta fix this, we gotta, what it, wait, wait, here's the plan, be patient. But even if we were to really embrace this truth and begin to be patient with our current circumstance, whatever our current circumstance is, it also translates into being patient with each other, doesn't it? Look at what he says. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Imagine, imagine if we're truly patient, patient in our circumstances, patient knowing the kingdom of God has already begun to be revealed. It's already breaking into the world. The kingdoms of the world are already passing away. And if we embrace that inner peace, that inner patience, that inner truth, then imagine how that translates to being patient with each other. And imagine, imagine the other side, how it translates to being impatient with each other when we're anxious about everything going on in the world. Seen any of that lately? I have. Have you? Being impatient with each other, grumbling against each other, judging one another, criticizing one another. Why? Because we're so anxious. And James would say it's because some of you are so ambitious and you're trying to get something for yourself and you're trying to protect yourself and you're trying to make friends with the world. All of this, all of these desires that you have and all of these ambitions that you have, the divided heart that you have and all of these goals and schemes that you have, it's not only causing conflict between you and God, it's causing conflict between you and each other. This is why you bite and devour each other. It's because you really haven't embraced the eschatological truth, the truth about the, the end of the story, that the judge is already standing at the door. 
Jesus is already standing at the door. It's one thing, right, when you were a kid and you were fighting, with, if you had siblings, fighting with your siblings when mom and dad were gone, right, and you're fighting with your siblings. I mean, it, it got pretty rough sometimes maybe. It, you're fighting with your siblings. It's a different thing when you hear the garage door going up, right? You hear the garage door going up, you're like, okay, now we're, we're best friends now. We, we've never fought in our lives. I don't know what you're talking about. Now we're friends because we know that mom and dad are right there. The judge is already at the door. This thing is wrapping up. Get your act together. Start living out what you say you believe. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Why do you think that your situation is going to be any better than theirs? They suffered, they were oppressed, they were persecuted, they were thrown into to wells. They, they went through all kinds of difficulty, but why were they willing to do that? Because they, they could see the end of the story. They knew how the story was going to end. And so do you. You know how this story is going to end. You know what the last page looks like. You know that the judge is already standing at the door. You know that the kingdom of God is already breaking into the world. You know that the forces of darkness are already passing away. You know that that's true. So be patient. Be willing to be last. Be willing to be last. Be willing to serve. Be, be willing to be humiliated. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to be persecuted. Why? Because I know how the story ends. Because you know how the story ends. But people that say, no, 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 I've got to amass as much as I can, and I've got to build this, and I've got to buy that, and I've got to have this, and I've got to store up that, I've got to make friends with these people and have alliances with those people. Do you know how this story is going to end? You, you know all that stuff you're accumulating for yourself? You, you know all that's just going to be kindling for the fire, right? You know that that's, that's going to amount to nothing. And in the meantime, in the meantime, your alliances with the world are putting you at odds with God and they're causing conflict with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what you should do. Be patient. Take care of the widows. Take care of the orphans. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Have real faith. Faith that lives itself out in works. Verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And think about, you remember the story of Job? Think about the story of Job. He suffered, didn't he? Now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean he didn't complain. It's kind of interesting that Job is called patient or, or steadfast. I mean, Job complained through the whole story, didn't he? And that's okay. That, that's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about don't complain, because sometimes, not to say complaining is good, but sometimes it's okay to say this hurts. I don't like this. Why is it this way? Why, why are we dealing with this? It's okay to have those moments. But what James did well, or what Job did well, and what James is pointing out is that Job did not give up. His wife told him, curse God and die. Why do you hold on to your integrity? Why do you, just, why do you keep on? Why, why do you keep on this path? It's not getting you anywhere. It's not doing anything for you. It's not benefiting you. And don't you know that people who are oppressed and marginalized and on, on the outskirts of, of 
the community and are being dragged into court and being defrauded and being accused of things they didn't do. Don't you know, for them, it's like, what good is religion? What good is faith? What good is it to hold on to my integrity? Why don't I just make friends with the right people? Why don't I just make friends with the powerful? Why don't I just make friends with the wealthy? They'll protect me. They'll provide for me. And James says, no, 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 remember Job. Remember Job. He didn't give up on God. He didn't understand why he was going through what he was going through. But remember how the story ended. Remember the purpose of the Lord. The word purpose there is telos. It means the end goal. The purpose of the Lord is what? Compassion. Mercy. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Do you remember how Job's story ended? He got back twice what he lost. This is what God is going to do for his people. He's going to bless you and he's going to give you eternal life. He's going to give you, Jesus says, he's going to give you the world. The meek will inherit the earth. God wants to give you everything. He will blow your mind with what he wants to give you, but you have to trust him. You have to hold on to him. You have to put your faith in him, and you have to be patient. And the only way to be patient is to remember how the story ends. Patience comes from knowing how the story ends. Patience doesn't come from saying, oh, tomorrow it's going to be better. There's a silver lining to what it is I'm going through. And tomorrow, oh, it's going to be better tomorrow. I don't know that. And neither do you. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. You don't know what happens. And if you tell yourself tomorrow, tomorrow will be better. And then tomorrow comes, and it's actually worse than today. Or next week comes, and it's ten times worse what, what the previous week was. And month after month and year after year, things seem to get worse and worse and worse. You're going to have moments where you say, why do I hold on? And he says, remember the farmer. Remember the fruit that eventually comes. Remember Job. Remember the prophets. God is going to bless you more than you can possibly imagine. He's going to raise you to life and you're going to live forever. He's going to give you everything. He's going to give you his entire new creation. You're going to have more than you can possibly imagine, but you have to remember how the story ends. And this is, this is how we live our life day to day. This is how we go through the hardest moments of our life. It's not by somehow trying to pretend like it's not really so bad but by remembering, even though it is bad, I know how the story ends. I know the purpose of the Lord, the end goal of the Lord. I know that he is compassionate and merciful, and he'll give me far more than I've ever lost. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, there are moments where we are tired and moments where we are scared and moments where we are anxious, moments where we're tempted to give up, moments where we're tempted to put our trust in the world, in worldly institutions, in worldly people, in worldly things. We're tempted to take matters into our own hands. But Father, I pray that you help us to remember how the story ends. Help us, Father, to remember who we are and remember what you've promised us. 
Help us, Father, to be patient and to trust in you. Help us, Father, to live out what we say it is that we believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.